morning, everyone. My name is Mikey. Uh, it's my pleasure to read the Bible for you. Uh, passage comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Uh, second, I don't know if it's going up. Uh, okay, let's read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiled, uh, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into and into an abundance uh, into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by the by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time in all this uh, you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have uh, have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you, have not, you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you have for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls concerning this salvation the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatness uh, with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of christ in in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It, were, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the, uh, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again. It is indeed a joy to be here. Um, thanks for letting me come and uh, letting us borrow Scott over at Salisbury as well for a week. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, we've just heard that even angels long to look into the things that we've been told from the Bible. Give us that same heart to earnestly seek and understand and treasure and live by your word that we might have the true life that is found in Jesus Christ and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever stopped and thought what a meaningless phrase working holiday is? Are you at work or are you on holiday? Of course, if you've been a parent with school-aged children in the last week, you might think that working holiday is a very good description of life, uh, but that's another story. 
Um, working holiday is an example of an oxymoron, a pair of words with opposite meanings. Um, other examples of oxymorons are the living dead or lead balloon. Now, I thought I'd take a risk this morning and ask for audience participation. Can you think of any oxymorons? And just shout them out if you can. Military intelligence, yes. Yep. People will think of them afterwards. My, fa my pet favorite one is Microsoft Works. Um, I'm saying all of this because my topic today uh, is a bit of an oxymoron. Uh, I've called this sermon Elect Expats. It's an oxymoron because elect means a chosen one, a special one, but an expat is someone who's living away from home. They are a stranger in a strange land. They might have fewer rights or opportunities than locals. They're usually misunderstood by everyone around them. So to smoosh, elect, and expat together is a bit odd. Chosen, but stranded far off. Special, but a second-class citizen. Preferred, but misunderstood. Which is it? And yet, the Apostle Peter put these words together in the first sentence of a letter he wrote to some early Christians. And we've just heard the start of that letter read for us. Thanks, Mikey. Uh, and I'm going to be preaching through that with a focus on this key phrase, elect expats. It probably said elect exiles um, in your translation. I'm going to explain in a minute while I think expat is a slightly better word. Um, but it's the same idea either way. Now, Peter's writing, he addresses the people he's writing as elect exiles or expats. He's got a particular example of expats in mind. He wrote at a time when many Jews, people whose homeland was Jerusalem and the area around there, they lived scattered all over the known world. They were called the dispersion or diaspora Jews. There were Jews who lived in Judea and Galilee, but there were others who lived in Greece and Rome and Spain and Egypt and all over the place. Some of them, maybe their parents had moved there. They were born there, and yet they felt this connection back to the promised land, the land of their people. Uh, and I use the word expat rather than exile because they could have gone home. They were choosing to live in all these other places, but they still felt that where they lived wasn't really their home. Peter uses this word expat uh, not because he's only writing to Jews who are scattered around the world who've converted to Christianity, but he's writing because all Christians are, in a way, expats. All Christians are, in a way, scattered from our true home, scattered abroad, because our our real home, our spiritual home, is heaven, where God is. Peter is addressing people who live in a particular part of the world. The uh, places listed are all in what we now call Turkey. Um, but they're away from their real home, their everlasting home, the new heavens and the new earth. 
And that means he's addressing us too because we fit in the same category. People who live in Australia, but not in our real home. These early Christians needed encouragement as they faced tough times. And so Peter wrote to remind them of who they were and give them some practical advice on how to stay close to Jesus and please God even while they suffered. I don't know if you're in a period of difficulty or suffering at the moment, but certainly being reminded of who we are as Christians is always helpful. Um, And if you're not a Christian, but you've come today because you're investigating who Jesus is, and I hope uh, the next 25 minutes will help you um, understand something of what becoming a Christian would mean for your identity, for how following Jesus will affect every part of your life even down to your very core being, your sense of yourself. We're going to look this morning pretty simply at, uh, first at what it means to be elect, then at what it means to be an expat, uh, and and then a help God has given us to understand ourselves in that way. So firstly then, we're elect. That is, we're chosen. But who have we been chosen by? Well, by God. Peter says this right at the start in verse 2. He's writing to those whom God knew beforehand. Before we were even alive to know God, God knew us and chose us to be his. It's an incredible thing that God should choose human beings, of all things, to love and bring into his family. It's an even more incredible thing that God should choose choose to love people who've messed up, as we all have. Messed up relationships, mixed up motives, mangled up conduct, mounting up habits and addictions, and yet God chose us. And God has dealt with our messed up lives too. He chose us and then made us holy by His Spirit. He's dealt with our sin and all that mess and set us apart for his special purposes. This happens through the blood of Jesus, which continues to be sprinkled on us to deal with our ongoing failures. Peter packs all of that into verse 2. It's a wonderful summary of the Christian faith. God has chosen messed up people like you and me, cleaned us up, and poured out on us gifts and peace. But there's more to say about how God chose us. In verse 3, Peter pours out praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's given us new birth. The word for new birth here is like God rebirthed us, like God gave birth to us again in some way. Uh, As I said, we have three children, and none of them chose to be born. It's something that happened to them, or happened to Rochelle, depending on how you think about it. Uh, Nor did I choose for my mum to give birth to me. And in the same way, we didn't choose to be reborn. God chose us. God made it happen. God is the one who new birthed us. And what did he birth us to? Uh, Verse 3 again. Uh, He 
we were birthed into a living hope of resurrection. That is, a hope of a better world, a hope of a world where death itself is undone and life goes on forever. We hope for Jesus' return and restoration of all things, a hope that grows and grows, and we were birthed into an inheritance which is imperishable, unspoilable, and unfading. Again, an inheritance is something we don't choose. We don't choose what our parents buy, save, collect. We don't choose who gets what when they write their will. It's chosen for us, and it's the same sense here. God has chosen an inheritance for us. He has determined what we will receive, what our portion in the next life will be. Peter doesn't spell out what that means. He doesn't sketch out sketch out for us, say, a house in the city or a crown of gold or a harp and a halo or a life of sensual pleasures or any other particulars. All of these are common ideas of what might be the next life, but Peter doesn't say any of those things. But he does tell us that whatever it is, we're certain to get it because it cannot perish, spoil, or fade. Uh, Ada and the Kiwi Ninja helpfully illustrated that for us earlier. Um, We've just come back from a couple of weeks with friends in Darwin, and while we were there, they told us all sorts of stories about stuff that perishes and spoils. People forget to leave the fans on in their house, and because it's so humid, like you can come back after a few days away and like you've got mold and mildew all through your linen. The friends we stayed with, they've got a chicken coop out the back and it doesn't have a floor anymore because the termites are so vicious and quick that they've eaten out the entire wooden floor. It's hard to keep your stuff in Darwin. It perishes, it spoils, it fades. It's not that fast in Adelaide, but stuff doesn't last, does it? It rots, tech gets outdated. Hailstorms break our pergolas and our car windscreens. But in heaven, God is protecting all the blessings that lie in store for us so that we will get them in full measure with full pleasure. It's really easy when things are going on in this world, isn't it, to wonder what God is doing. Is he kind? Are we really his chosen ones if things are so hard? Peter says that God's inheritance for us is in the future, not the present. And despite present sufferings, the Lord's goodness for us in the future is definite and unspoilable. He's chosen this for us. He's keeping it ready for us. So, we are God's chosen people. We are the elect. We've been chosen to new birth, to a renewed life. And we've been chosen to an inheritance, an inheritance that cannot be lost or ruined or spoiled. That's the joy of being God's elect. Notice how often in this chapter, Peter speaks of how this should lead his readers to joy and gladness. And if you're not a Christian and you're wondering kind of what's the point of Becoming a Christian, well, here are the benefits of faith. Hope in this life 
and in the next, a life of forever enjoying a good inheritance. Yet at the same time as being chosen, Christians are expats. We might be chosen, but we're in a foreign land. Even if we're God's own people, we don't yet fully have all that he intends for us. We're in a far-off country. Do you ever feel like that in the world? Does it ever feel like the world's values are foreign to you? As you, for example, as you see what people build their lives on, does it just seem odd? Pointless? Or vice versa, do others consider you odd? Why would you bother going to church? They might ask. We live in times when Christianity increasingly is, is seen not just as odd, but as offensive, destructive even. Peter says that shouldn't be surprising because we are expats. We are in a strange land. Um, some of us gathered here this morning have literally come from another country, and I imagine you know the experience of thinking that Australians do some weird things. What is the deal with Vegemite? I have the same question in case. And perhaps of being misunderstood, you kind of do something that you think is normal and kind of people who've lived here longer go, what are you doing? If you've travelled overseas, you might have had that experience in reverse. That's our whole life as Christians. We're out of place. We do things a bit differently. Peter brings out this idea of being far away from home really beautifully in verse 8. He writes of those who've never personally met Jesus and yet believe in him and love him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This describes life as a Christian so well. We've never seen Jesus. We love him. We believe in him. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's, it's a real comfort to me that God knows people would be in this situation, that people would love Jesus without having seen him. He knows that's a bit weird, a bit hard, but it's possible to really, truly love and believe in Jesus even though we live many years later and a long way away from where he walked the earth. But, the, like, isn't this what comes with the territory of being an expat? Expats cannot see their homeland. They may not have even lived there for decades. They might not have met someone who's from there for a long time. And yet they love it. They remember it with fondness. Loving from far away is an essential part of the expat experience. And that's what life is like for us as Christians. Until Jesus returns, we won't see him. And it might be a long time until we do, and yet we love him. And we believe in him. We believe in the resurrection. We believe that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father and one day will come back. Another word for that belief is faith. Peter writes lots in this letter about faith, particularly faith 
under trial. But right at the start, he says um, what the hard times in life achieve for faith. They show it's genuine. Verse 6, he notices, he notes that it's necessary for some to be grieved by various trials. It's necessary, but why? Why is suffering necessary? Verse 7, so that their faith may be shown to be genuine. Peter uses a word here that describes a metal that's been tested and found genuine. A piece of gold that's been through the fire and you can tell that there's no dross in it. Trials in this life show that our faith is real. If our faith is like gold, it's it's pretty easy to think of things we could kind of alloy with it. We could have faith and a need for approval. Faith and a love of religious ceremony. Faith and a cultural habit. Faith and a social connection. But when we keep our faith despite challenge or difficulty, we see it's stronger than all these other things. It's genuine. It's not, in fact, alloyed. We're not Christians just because we like the people at church, say, but because we really believe in Christ. In fact, real faith is so good, Peter says it lasts longer than gold. It's better than gold. Even gold which has been tested and proven in the fire. That perishes eventually, but our faith will last. Which means we can be encouraged that our status as expats actually has some value. We might long for our home, and that's good and right. The world to come is what we're looking forward to. But in the meantime, our faith is precious in God's sight. In the final analysis, God has granted us something wonderful, a faith that has been proven to be strong. And yet at the same time, there is unease, isn't there? There's a a sense of feeling out of place, not quite right longing to be somewhere else. My question for you this morning is, as you hear these two description words, elect and expat, does one fit more easily for you? Does one ring truer in your Christian experience than the other? Do you have a sense of God's love for you? But you're not sure that you're that dissimilar to the world around you. Or do you know for sure that your faith is setting you at odds with other people, but you're not really confident that you're saved, that God cares for you? Peter says that these both apply to us. And if one is stronger for you than the other, perhaps it's time to lean into the other side a bit. Maybe you are a bit too comfortable with the world, with its goals, thinking, dreams, desires. You easily fit in. You don't feel there's really that much difference between Christians and everyone else. If that's the case, then it's it's time to consider who you are, that you're an expat here. You don't belong in this world. Or maybe you're unsure about your salvation. You're, you're not confident in God's love for you. Maybe at times you feel like you're not a real Christian, plagued as you are by doubt or sin. Or maybe just your daily life feels you know, flat. And not kind of 
time spiritually. Well, then it's time for you to consider who you are. You are one of God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. How do we do that, though? How do we shape our identity, our kind of grabbing onto these things? Ironically, the world itself has heaps of ideas about how we construct an identity. And in our corner of the world, it's all about kind of our own feelings. And we search within ourselves to find out who we really are, and then we do our best to live that out. Uh, I could rant for quite a long time about what's wrong with that approach, but instead, um, let's look at the really useful tool Peter gives us for identity shaping in the final verses of our passage. In verse 10, Peter starts talking about the prophets who lived long ago and who spoke about God's salvation. Those prophets longed, desperately longed, to know what we know now. The Spirit moved in them to make various predictions and prophecies, but they didn't understand the fullness of what they said. They spoke of a Messiah, but who would he be? When would he come? They never knew the details. And in fact, they also knew that their message wasn't even really fully for them and for their own time. They were God's messengers, not for themselves, but for us, Peter amazingly says uh, in these verses. The Old Testament prophets spoke of our present salvation, the work of Jesus Christ. It wasn't primarily for their benefit, but for ours. And that's a great gift as we try and hold on to this identity as elect expats. The gospel of Jesus Christ has made us elect expats, simultaneously chosen by God and out of place in the world. So the more we know about the gospel about our salvation, the more we'll understand ourselves and this strange nature we have. If only people had thought, meditated, preached, sang, wrote poetry and lived about this salvation for hundreds of years under the divine spirit of God and then recorded that for us, wouldn't that be useful? Hang on a minute. Peter says that's what's happened. Hundreds of years of reflection on God's promises are recorded in the Old Testament as God worked in the prophets and others to testify to salvation. That's kind of strange though, isn't it? We often feel, don't we, that the Old Testament is a bit dark and mysterious, but it's okay because the New Testament is light and clear. It's easy to feel we can ignore the Old Testament because the New Testament's a bit about Jesus and that's who we need. But that misses the point. If the prophet spoke for us, not to us, but for us, then we should pay all the more attention to them. Because Jesus has come, the Old Testament can actually be understood for what it really meant all along. In the Old Testament, we have the material we need to know what it's like to be an elect expat. Think about it. Abraham was called by God to leave his country for a new land. He was an elect expat. Daniel was protected and empowered by God, but spent most of his life living far away from home. 
Ruth was brought from a far country into God's people. She even became part of the royal family tree, but she knew she had to give up her old culture and ways in order to become one of God's people. These and others were elect expats, showing us the pattern of life for God's people then and now. So let me encourage you, whether you're unsure about the chosen bit or the different to the world bit, reading the Old Testament can really shape you and your self-understanding to help you see who you've been made to be in Christ and to more truly live that out. I know that you as a church are committed to preaching Christ from the Old and New Testaments. I want to encourage you in your own Bible reading to make sure that the Old Testament features Look for the models that help us understand how to live as elect expats. See how God has always been in the business of choosing people but making them different to the world around them. And of course, read the New Testament too. And as you do, pray that God would strengthen your sense of who he's made us to be. Elect expats, called from this world, chosen by God through the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. Let's do that now. Lord God, we thank you for choosing us. We didn't choose our new birth. We didn't choose our inheritance. You chose these things for us as a present, a gift, as an act of grace. We humbly thank you. We recognize as well that you have changed us. Your spirit is working in us to desire you above all. And the new heavens and the new earth, and that sets us at odds with the world around us. Please help us to to grasp these things fully, to be shaped by them, to own our identity as elect expats. May the scriptures form in us a sense of who you've made us to be and called us to be. May the same spirit who caused these words to be written write them on our hearts. And may the blood of Jesus continue to cleanse us from sin and hold us safe until the day when we reach that inheritance and we come home. We haven't seen him, but we love him, and we believe in him, and we ask that the day we see him would be soon. Keep us until that day, just as you keep the inheritance for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.